Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, how to get 20, 20, 20, how to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So, Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Across the UK, online and on DAB. The Matthew Wright Show on Talk Radio. Shaking up the afternoon with three hours of original current affairs conversation, unfiltered comments and irreverent opinion. Distinctively different conversation that's always right on target. The Matthew Wright Show on Crucible of Broadcast Excellence. Talk Radio. Put it on and keep it on. On the show this afternoon, we met Simon Yates, the mountaineer whose heartbreaking decision to cut loose a partner who'd fallen into a ravine inspired the hit film Touching the Void. We spoke with the child abuse campaigner Sammy Woodhouse on the pros and cons of naming and shaming the top cops who failed victims in Rochdale, Rotherham and beyond. But first, we looked into how English children in the care system are being exported to Scotland for a lack of secure accommodation down south. We spoke to Sam Taylor from Become, the charity for children in care. This next uh, item is about care in the UK, specifically England and Scotland, and this... I mean, just it's a mind-blowing story, quite frankly, in the Times, that uh, English children in care uh, with uh, behavioural problems are being sent to live in Scotland uh, in care facilities there because of a lack of secure accommodation south of the border. In one instance, you've got a boy uh, from Kent placed in a home in Glasgow, so it's nearly 500 <laughs> miles away. Uh, there was another one I saw which was uh, 300 miles away uh, from the places where they grew up. So something has gone horribly, horribly wrong, um, and I'm going to try and unpick this mess and see if we can get to it. Well, who to blame, I suppose. Uh, joining us to discuss is uh, Sam Turner, uh, voice and influencing manager at Become. That's a charity for children in care and young care leavers. Uh, good afternoon to you, Sam. Good afternoon. I mean, I've seen some pretty grim stories about people in care over the years, and I've heard some from people in care, but I've never seen a story that suggests the state of play was in such chaos, Sam. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. We're certainly in a bit of a crisis with the care system at the minute. And what we've seen over the past 10 years, really, is just an escalation of the problems that have been caused by all the significant cuts to local authority budgets that we've seen. We've witnessed an increasing number of children sort of coming into the care system. um, And this is really just a symptom of the the kind of crisis that we do find ourselves in today. 
it's kind of wrong to ask you in your things what they might be feeling in Scotland, but I'm going to ask you anyway. I mean, it's not clearly if Scotland's placing its own children in young offenders institutions for a lack of places, um, a lack of care places, there must be a degree of resentment. I think I would be resentful of English children taking those places. It's certainly difficult, and it's, it's very much a, a reflection on the failure of the English system to plan um, and appropriately determine exactly how many places we're going to need so that we can provide the, you know, the best, most secure, most loving, stable placements for the young people that come into care in England. How would you describe what you've seen in the English care system? I mean, over what period of time? Ten years? How has it changed in ten years? I think particularly over the past 10 years, what we've seen is those really, really significant cuts to local authority budgets. And what that's done is it's shifted the way in which children's services run, whereby the early kind of support work that used to um, take place with families to help them cope with some of the difficult challenges that make it harder parent, things like sort of substance abuse problems or challenges with domestic abuse at home, um, that kind of work simply doesn't, the money isn't there for that to take place anymore. And actually now what we see as a result of that is an increasing number of children who are coming into care at crisis stage because those earlier problems haven't been managed to sort out. The Department of Education, and I'm not sure um, whose remit it is to look after children in care. I'd imagine the Department of Education has a role to play, but not exclusively. Um, they're, they're, they're the only ones quoted in the Times article, if you like, as representative of the government, uh, and they simply say that they're expanding provision uh, availability in England through a £40 million capital programme. Now, to some people, £40 million is going to sound like an enormous amount of money. Um, when we're looking at, what, 75 children sent from England to, to Scotland over a period of 12 months, a lack of availability for Scottish children uh, there, um, is £40 million going to be able to cut it? Are we going to be able to, 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 to get the care system back to where it needs to be? To set that figure in a bit of context, the, the Local Government Association, which is the representative body for, for local government across the, across the country, they've said that they're expecting a shortfall of about 3.1 billion by 2025 in terms of sort of children. Is that all? <laughs> so I mean, I'm laughing. I could be crying if yeah. I'm actually honest, Sam. So, so I, I'm asking you, is 40 million enough to cut it, you know, to sort out this problem? And you're telling me that we're actually running as a, as a shortfall measured in three and a bit billion? Mm-hmm. Admittedly, they're, they're comparing two slightly different sure. things. So I think that forty million is respect to, a, to particularly around secure care, but it gives you an ex, a, certainly a good understanding of the extent of the problem that we're facing and, and the kind of investment that we really desperately need from central government to relieve some of the pressure that's on local authorities. They're having to make incredibly difficult decisions in incredibly difficult circumstances. And I think what we've seen today, particularly with the story in the Times about um, children being sent to Scotland, in addition with the story about children being housed in completely inappropriate settings like tents and caravans, they're both really symptoms of very much the same problem. Would you say, I mean, so I'm 55 nearly... uh, I suppose, a child of Thatcherism, that that's when I first remember the the sort of order of cut, cut, cut. All I've ever been aware of, Sam, particularly within um, children's services, is cut, 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 cut. Have we reached the point where you just can't cut anymore? We've actually cut it to the point where it's no longer fit for service. I certainly think there's a danger that we continue to make these cuts to budgets. And and unfortunately, what we've seen is that 
all of the support services, like I mentioned earlier, get taken away. And instead, we're really relying on just delivering the minimum statutory requirements to keep children sort of physically safe. What we actually need is a care system that's appropriately funded to deliver on the legislation, so deliver on that 1989 Children's Act that we know is such fantastic legislation, and actually make sure we focus on things that make a massive difference to young people directly. That's things like developing loving, stable relationships with their friends and with adults who trust them. It's having a really stable place to stay, which means you can make friends, you can understand your identity, you can have a good time at school and do all of the things that I think we would take for granted, really, as children and young people who have lived outside of the care system. I wanted to ask you, Sam, just to sort of put a, put a human face on the impact uh, of these cuts uh, on these children, on these vulnerable children. And I just wondered if you could... whether whether you yourself have witnessed the ch a change in a change in the children, I suppose, today compared to ten years, whether whether you can see the impact of these cuts on their behaviour, on their outlook, on their hopes and dreams. Actually, one of the most damning things about it is that when we talk to a lot of care experienced adults now, they tell us that nothing's changed, um, and that's that's a really sad state of affairs. You know, we are one of the richest countries in the world yet we are seemingly unable to house children in places that provide them with the love and the stability they need to, to heal from the trauma they've experienced and thrive. The Matthew Wright Show on Talk Radio. Uh, right now, I want to talk about, uh, well, I suppose child abuse, really, and the failings uh, of uh, our senior police officers to, to get to grips with some of the scandals. Uh, Operation Augusta was closed down uh, in 2005, despite the police having identified, I think, 57 other victims and 97 suspects. And uh, I believe that during the investigation that followed, uh, Greater Manchester Police said they'd lost the notes pertaining to the decision to close down Operation Augusta. It's statements like that that uh, always uh, raise the hackles of wary and cynical journalists like myself. Uh, joining us now to share her thoughts is Sammy Woodhouse. Now, she's a victim not of the Rochdale child sex abuse scandal, but of the Rotherham sexual exploitation scandal. And she's been campaigning uh, to bring light into the darkness ever since and it's a great joy to speak to her again this afternoon sammy how are you i'm all right thank you how are you i'm good i'm good i, I have to say and I, i'm sure that this won't come as a surprise to you that it's it is disappointing for for someone like myself to be talking to you again about the same problems we've discussed many times in the past yeah it is it's um a disgrace if i'm quite honest and I, i'm not i'm not surprised or shocked at all this is something i've known for a very long time but you know, to, to keep having these reports come out saying, um, you know, what's happened, that we was viewed as packy shaggers, as slags, as whores. Yeah. Um, you know, for all that evidence to be there and still no professionals will be held to account, not even names, um, it's disgraceful. Would it's... You've, you've actually hit on something that I, I'm interested by because there are two things here, aren't there? There's being held to account, which would actually involve you know, being punished in some degree for the failings that they might have presided over, and then there's just being named. Now, yeah. uh, for the life of me, our taxes paid the salaries of those senior police officers. We're supposed to have open justice in this country so that we know that the, that the powerful are held to account just the same way uh, as the least powerful, the, the least wealthy. And yet we're not even allowed to know their names. I know. And, um, I mean, I've, I've been speaking out now for about six years and I've started to build a little bit of a, of a platform with, with the older media interviews that I do. Yeah. And it's got to the point where 
um, you know, if I have the evidence, I have named those professionals myself. And I've actually been placed under investigation for harassment uh, for naming those Unbelievable. Even with evidence. In fact, I've actually lost count how many times professionals have tried to have me arrested. You know, I've gone up against my rapist. There's only been one person held to account. In my case, he was sentenced to 35 years. But I've gone up against him, you know, against gangs, against professionals. And out of all of them, it's the professionals that have tried to make my life so difficult. I mean, that's... I, I hate to ask you this because you are still campaigning, but do, do, do you think you're going to get there in the end and the, the, the great and the good will be held to a, to account? I always like to be hopeful because I think if you haven't got hope, you've got nothing. But I, I honestly don't think that people will be held to account for this. I think that some perpetrators will. You know, as we know, the National Crime Agency are now fetching those two courts. Um, but I think the majority of people are going to walk away from this. And what even more disgraceful is, um, you know, when, when professionals are being interviewed, they either just don't, don't speak to um, the authorities that are investigating this, they just stand down and they get to keep their pensions. Well, not, not, uh, I mean, we can go further than that, of course, and the, the former head of, of Greater Manchester Police, uh, Peter Fahey, is now Sir Peter Fahey. He's been knighted. Yeah. Um, so he presided over... After, re- after reward. Presided over, over one of the worst child sex abuse scandals in UK history and gets a knighthood. Yeah, and then they want to know, and, and I always get the, the golden question, Sammy, why don't people come forward? Well, this is why. Because we're ignored, we're blamed, um, and, you know, people just come above us all the time. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. If you have a lot of mailing to do, stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. Use the Stamps.com mobile app to mail everything you need to keep your business running with up to 89% off USPS and UPS. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Use code PROGRAM for a special offer. That's Stamps.com, code PROGRAM. The Matthew Wright Show on Talk Radio. My guest, Simon Yates, who joins us now, he was the man that had to do the cutting, uh, and the chap that he had to cut off, Joe Simpson, miraculously survived. And I have to say, I have to say, to finally sit in front of you, Simon Yates, is is quite a thing, because it's an extraordinary story. And as you walk in... Forgive me for saying so. You're just, I don't know what I expected. I look a bit just normal. An, an ordinary, a normal man. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yes, yeah, a yeah, normal, normal man yeah, yeah. from Cumbria. Yeah, a journalist in Australia described me as looking like an accountant, actually. So <laughs> there, there, there you go. So what they look like in Australia? <laughs> I don't know, but there you go. So um, he thought it was very ordinary as well. We should yeah. do it. We should do it. Uh, well, hang on. No, by, by ordinary, that's only the appearance. Any man any man who travels over to the Peruvian Andes to go climbing for fun not cannot, cannot be ordinary and uh, may need to sit down with a psychiatrist or two. Possibly, <laughs> um, yeah, yeah. Let's, uh, let, let, let's, let's talk, first of all, if we may, about uh, the climb, and then we'll look at the film and, and the play as well, if we may. Um, 
It must have taken a while to get used to it, looking back on what happened, the decision to cut, the fact that Joe survived. Yeah, yeah it took... Um, I suppose at the time, I just carried on anyway, you know what I mean? I, I came, we came, when we came back from Peru, um, I just I went off to the Alps a few weeks later and, and carried on climbing mountains. So I didn't really think a great deal about it. And then... And then, obviously, uh, Joe wrote a book that yep. was published in 1988. Uh, then it ended up being a film many, many years later. And, obviously, now um, it's a play. How you know. did you know each other in the first place? We'd met in the Alps um, a year a year earlier. Um, a lot of British climbers, indeed, a lot of climbers from around the world used to um, live on this campsite in Chamonix in France um, through the summer, and you'd meet people and you'd go climbing with them. So that's how we met. But you need to remind me, because I know this is a huge decision, so you just need to remind me what... So you're up the, the mountain. build-up to it. So what, yeah, yeah, I just yeah. need to know the yeah. choice and the morality and the drama, please. Right, OK, we're up the mountain, we're coming down the mountain, Joe falls off, breaks his leg. I then end up having to lower him down the mountain to get him off, which is not easy to do on your own, um, and it's even more difficult when you can't actually anchor yourself to anything, because normally when we're climbing up mountains, it's not quite as daft as it may look. We actually anchor ourselves to... Bits of rock or bits of ice. That's so that, still daft. Uh, yeah, <laughs> so that we don't, if we do slip and have it, we, we only fall a little way and we don't fall all the way to the bottom of the mountain. So, mad as fish. Crampons. We have all those things as well, yeah, crampons and ice axes uh, to get ourselves up. But yeah, basically, then later on the same day, so I start lowering him down the mountain and I won't bore you with all the technicalities of it, but I unknowingly, in a storm later on the day, lure him over the edge of this ice cliff. He's dangling on the, you know, on the end of the rope over the edge of the ice cliff. I can't lower him any further because I've come up to a knot in the rope that won't go through the plate I was lowering him on, and this horrible stalemate develops. And sooner or later, I'm going to be pulled off the mountain, aren't I? Because I'm just sat in a bucket in the snow and it's collapsing around me. Oh wow! And so I spend a long time. Could you communicate with him? No, at all? no, no. no we can only communicate verbally with each other when we were close up because of the background noise. You know, it, it's storming. Howling there are little avalanches winds, yeah. coming down the mountain. Oh, it's noisy. My God. And then, um, yeah. So my communication with him when we reached this knot in the rope, he I took down the rope, and that's my signal for him to take his weight off it. And then basically nothing happened. And then we have this horrible stalemate develop. I don't know what position he's in because I can't see him. He can't communicate with me. And I'm slowly but surely being pulled off the mountain. And so, yeah, um, basically, I'm kind of waiting to die, aren't I, for a long oh. time. And um, um, and when you're in that position, it focuses your attention. You know, you kind of start thinking about how can I get out of this? You know, are there any solutions here? You must have gone through a million, million different thoughts. Well, I went, what I was trying to do was actually find a way of getting out of the situation I was in, you know, but 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 obviously your mind races. Um, and unfortunately, for a long time, I wasn't getting anywhere. You know, I couldn't think of anything. I couldn't think, oh, what can I do? Because as I say, normally we're, we're connected to something and when you're connected to something, you can get out of the system then and you can do other things. I was, you know, in effect, I was the connection for both of us to the mountain at yeah. that point of view, so I couldn't do anything. And... Um, yeah, and then uh, I guess I had I had the light bulb moment, didn't I, where I remembered uh, I'd got a knife and there, you know, a course of action then presented itself, basically. Wow. Any moral quandary at all? I mean, No, I, I have to say, not at that moment survival. in time. Survival. As I say, I was waiting to die. So, and it's, wor you know. it's, it's, it's worth reiterating, because we've only got a few minutes that, that mm. 
Joe survived and has said many times, including in the book, yeah. that you'd have done exactly the same thing if it was you dangling on the rope. Well, yeah, you know, obviously I'd been trying to... Indeed, I had virtually rescued him. We were almost back at the bottom of the mountain when this thing happened. So, um, uh, and ultimately, uh, I mean, the story continues after this, but ultimately... Uh, my action saved both of our lives, so it, it was it was a good call. Wasn't Could you it, believe it when you when you saw him? Uh, no, 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 no. I thought he was a it was a, it was a go. You know, it, it was a very surreal moment, um, a very happy moment, obviously, but 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 somewhat surreal. Was it as a happier moment for him, or did he say, "I want to kill yeah, you"? Yeah, no, 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 no. Effect. It was a very happy moment for him as well because because <laughs> oh, you, yeah, 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 <laughs> you're off me Christmas card list. <laughs> Something like that. I want yeah, a word yeah, with you. Yeah, yeah. Um, no, <laughs> it was a very happy moment for everybody, really, because obviously he didn't have to spend any more time crawling once he'd found us. And if you enjoyed all of that, make sure you tune in to the Matthew Wright Show with Kevin O'Sullivan every weekday from one on Talk Radio.